This is episode number 22 of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Everyone, welcome back to the show. In this episode, we're going to be talking about databases, more specifically NoSQL databases, otherwise known as non-relational databases. There are many different types of NoSQL databases, ranging from key value, document, graph databases, columnar. Uh, there's a whole spectrum of them, and we're going to find out what each one of those means and the whole concept behind NoSQL from a special guest of mine by the name of Matt Groves. So Matt Groves and I actually used to work together at Couchbase, which is a document NoSQL database. Uh, But it is not going to be the core subject material of this show. It's going to be very generic enough uh, for all NoSQL databases with a slight spin on Couchbase because that's what Matt's most familiar with. When this show is over, make sure you take a moment to stop at the blog, which is thepolyglotdeveloper.com. So that way you can get some useful information about different programming concepts, languages, uh, just overall great tutorials that will help you be more successful with your everyday development career. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm with Matt Groves, and we're going to be talking about NoSQL databases. But before we get into that, I want to give Matt a chance to introduce himself. So how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Nick. It's uh, great being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So um, can you tell me a little bit about yourself before we get into the topic? Yeah. uh, All you need to know about me, basically, is I'm a guy who really loves to write code. Uh, I live in Ohio. Uh, I'm married. I got two kids. Uh, I can also do a pretty good Nick Raboy impression. You want to hear it? (laughs) Yeah, sure. All right. Hey, what's up, dude? And you, and you can't see it, but I got two thumbs up as well. Awesome! Yeah, no, that sounds great. So, what kind of stuff <laughs> you what kind of code are you writing in Ohio, of all places? <laughs> well, I'm a developer advocate at Couchbase, um, like you used to be. So, I, I travel around a lot, and I write uh, code and presentations and stuff like that. But uh, what a developer advocate means is that I try to help build and facilitate a healthy community of uh, developers and and other IT people around Couchbase. And and NoSQL in general, I guess, but focused on Couchbase. So just just for clarity, Couchbase is a NoSQL database. It isn't the core of this uh, particular episode, but it, it will be included throughout. Sure. Uh, so why don't we why don't we jump right into things and uh, you give me kind of your explanation or uh, impression of what NoSQL means when it comes to databases. Originally, NoSQL was a, a term that was used to describe a meetup of people who were interested in databases that were not relational, um, especially those those big three relational databases. And and these databases didn't involve writing any SQL because they weren't relational, so hence the NoSQL term. Uh, since then, it's become kind of a marketing buzzword, umbrella term for anything that's not relational. And it's a term I really don't like, which is ironic, I guess, because if you go to couchbase.com you'll see NoSQL everywhere i'm the new host of the NoSQL podcast things like that but it's, it's not a terribly useful term at a technical level uh, so I, I generally ask people to use more specific terms like document database or graph database to help avoid confusion uh, one other thing about NoSQL: some people often say that NoSQL stands for not only sql right that's completely a backronym though that's that's not the original meaning uh, and it's still not generally useful 
but it is an attempt at least to take away some of the us versus them mentality and to say that, hey, a project can use multiple kinds of databases, a, a polyglot persistence, if you will. I know I'm on the polyglot developer podcast, so it's a term you're hopefully familiar with. Uh, but you can use multiple kinds of databases together. So it's not an all or nothing sort of thing. So in regards to people, you said that people uh, created this out of uh, kind of a need to not talk about relational databases, right? Um, that's kind of where it started? Yeah, just a, just a meetup to say, hey, let's talk about some database stuff that you know is kind of the, the newer wave of these databases. They're kind of based on like Amazon's Dynamo white paper and, and Google's uh, big table white paper and stuff like that. So why would people even need to talk about something other than a relational database? What, what kind of strikes that need or what problem uh, was not able to be solved with a relational database well? Yeah, so I, I'd say that these databases, key value stores, document, columnar databases, et cetera, were created as a way to deal with some of the large-scale web applications. I mentioned Amazon and Google there. Uh, scaling a relational database is something that's totally possible, um, but it used to be, and it still is to an extent, complicated and expensive to do. Now, you can there's, there's different kinds of scaling. So you can scale up, scale vertically, that means just take your database, put it on a bigger machine. Uh, but this can get uh, mighty expensive and does have a bit of a ceiling. Uh, and the alternative to that is called horizontal scaling. And that's splitting the data up amongst multiple machines in some way. And so you have multiple machines acting together uh, to provide uh, the bigger scale there. Now, that horizontal scaling is complicated to do with relational because uh, each piece of data has to, you know, it's it's related to each other, hence the name, has to follow a, a predefined schema, which makes it challenging to shard or split that data up amongst multiple machines. But uh, the NoSQL databases, like a document database, for instance, each piece of data is, it's not a relation. It's completely independent. So it doesn't really matter what machine you put it on. Uh, and it also happens that this gives NoSQL some other side benefits, uh, I guess we could call them, in terms of flexibility and and speed. So that's sort of the, the reason that NoSQL came around. That's the problem it was trying to solve. So, uh, all right. So you, you threw out a lot, of, a lot of terms out there just now. Uh, so you mentioned document database. Uh, what other kind of, I guess, uh, non-relational databases uh, exist as of right now? Yeah, so there's a lot of different kinds of databases. And, and uh, document database is a popular kind. Uh, key value is another. Uh, so those two are, are similar in that they, they both are key-based. So each piece of data has a key to identify it. Uh, and then the value can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, but a document database, the value follows some format, usually JSON, sometimes XML. But it, it's still it's still key-based, but since it follows a, a data format, you can do some secondary indexing, some server-side stuff, because the server can uh, interpret, understand the format of the data. Is, is there any, do they ever use YAML? Or is it just XML and JSON? <laughs> I don't know of any YAML, or, but or that's Tomal. certainly a possibility. <laughs> any, any sort of markup language really yeah. could be used, but it's mostly JSON and maybe like a few XML uh, instances in there. So you mentioned key value, you mentioned document. What, what else exists? Yeah. There's also graph databases, which are really interesting. Um, they follow this. Uh, they follow graph theory, which is a, a branch of mathematics, I guess you could, could say. And they represent data, uh, just like other databases. But they also represent the relationships between that data as data itself. Uh, so 
I may have a relation as a customer to some object I purchased, and that relationship is itself a, a, a piece of the data that can be queried and navigated amongst. And that's, that's some really interesting stuff you can do with graph databases. So then, so then if, if you're working with relationships in a graph database, wouldn't that then turn it back into a relational database? Not, not exactly, because uh, with re- relational database, I mean, the, the relation in relational database means that basically it's in a table, it's, uh, it, it belongs to that, that table, that classification. Uh, you can represent relationships between pieces of data in a relational database by using stuff like foreign keys. And, and that's fine for some instances, but the type of relationships you define in a graph database in a relational database, it would be a mess, a real big mess. It would be really hard to read and query and do the same kinds of navigations and traversals that a graph database can support out of the box. Now, is is a graph database best thought of like a, a graph data structure like uh, that you would see in a typical computer science algorithms class? Yes, exactly like that. And the same algorithms can be used to navigate that graph uh, efficiently. Got it, got it. Uh, so... Is there, so I mean, with, I, maybe we'll get there, but is there any reason, I mean, with all of these different databases that exist, uh, is there any reason why you would still want to use a relational database? Yes, yes, absolutely. So this is going to be a bit of a long answer, Nick, uh, and, and maybe not be very satisfying, but, but stay with me on this, all right? So I would say if your data fits neatly into tables, if you use an ORM and you have no problems with it, or mostly no problems, if you have a relatively small amount of data, and by that I mean like a few gigabytes, something like that, uh, if you aren't uh, you know, twisting your data around into something crazy like fifth normal form, um, which is actually a thing that exists, and if, you, if, you, if, you're, using, if you're not using a bunch of JSON and XML columns, uh, if your schema doesn't change very much, or doesn't change very drastically, uh, those would be places where relational makes a lot of sense. But again, just saying relational, just like NoSQL, it's a bit of a wide umbrella, right? So this includes things like SQLite, which are on like every single piece of electronics in the world. Uh, it includes Oracle, which is like the world's most universally hated company. Um, it includes Google Cloud Spanner, which is part of the whole NoSQL thing, which which claims to provide relational APIs, but uh, but better scaling. So there are a lot more questions to ask, and some of these are tech questions. Some of them are people questions. But let me maybe uh, some examples would help if you don't mind. Let me go through yeah, some examples. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Give me some. All right. So I'm I'm a bit of a baseball fan. I think you know that. Uh, um, so you like the Giants, then, right? No, I don't like the Giants. I like <laughs> the Reds. Uh, I don't know how I remember. But the different stats that people keep track of in baseball, there's lots of stats, right? But they they don't change that much, right? So you rarely ever add columns to a baseball stats database. You rarely ever add t- new tables to it. You rarely even change the indexes, right? Because you're going to be running the, the same types of query for the most part. So you don't really change much of anything. You just add more and more rows to it. And even some of the newer stats out there, if you're a baseball nerd like me, you know stats like WIP. Uh, well, for one, they aren't very new. And and two, they're basically just formulas for that use the other stats already. So the data, shape of the data does not change, does not evolve very much at all. And so the queries might vary a lot during the season, um, but uh, not that much. Now, performance can be important for a few people, right? Press people during the game, managers, players. But for the general public, looking at these stats, performance is not a big deal with baseball stats. Uh, You know, I'm only doing like one query at a time. I want to see who the top 10 uh, hitters are in the National League. And that's 
relatively, you know, a few number of operations that I do that. So performance, if I have to wait an extra couple seconds to get that, not a big deal. And then in terms of scale, the amount of data you get every season is relatively predictable. Uh, it's relatively small, actually. There's not that many people who play Major League Baseball. And they're, in the grand scheme of things, there's not that much to track. Uh, now, for long-term data, you may run into some problems, right? So people are, are going to query 2018 data a lot more than 1918 data. So maybe some of the long-term storage, NoSQL could help there. But this overall, this is a situation where flexibility, scalability, and performance just aren't terribly important. And so we want to keep those benefits of the rigid structure and the predefined schema. And we can work. We can work with that, and that's a great fit for relational. Now, I am kind of speculating here. I don't. I don't run a baseball stats website or anything, but I think it's pretty safe uh, to say that's the case. Now, speaking of baseball, let's look at something else. Some other baseball use cases. Now, I've been lucky enough to work with the Cincinnati Reds while here at Couchbase, and I say work with, but really, I've just done some simple like uh, so you, uh, proof you were of just concepts. The, the seat filler in a meeting, right? No, I kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just there for the free tickets. Yeah. No, but I just did some blog posts to help get them started. And they're doing all the real work, right? So I don't have any detailed insight into their infrastructure. I just have a very high-level understanding. Um, but anyway, uh, when it comes to baseball, there's a lot more to the team than just what you see on TV, right? So even though the Reds are having a bad season this year, uh, they still have games where a lot of people come in through the gates. And those people come in over a pretty small window of time. And if you've been to a sporting event before, a concert, this sort of thing, you take your tickets to the gates and you get them scanned. Now, the Reds, like a lot of events and event-based organizations, they have brought in some third-party solutions, some software and hardware, to do the ticket scans. And these results, let's say they get stored in some relational database. Now, this database is on-premises. The Reds have access to it, but they do not control anything about the data. They don't control the schema. They don't write the software, that sort of thing, right? So that third party could go and change that schema in their next update for all we know. They could add columns, change the names of columns, whatever they want, because they're the ones writing the software that, that interacts with them. Now, the Reds have this data, and they want to do some reporting and visualization and stuff like that on the attendance as people come in. So they want to answer questions like, you know, what sections are filling up the fastest? Uh, are there any concessions out there that are especially busy or especially slow? Uh, have any uh, VIPs? Uh, got their tickets scanned. Some important people we want to make sure we take extra good care of. So we could answer these questions by querying that relational database directly. But during the busiest time of the system, they might a not be allowed to do that, right? Because they might be putting additional strain on this system and hurting the performance of the ticket scan. So that could mean a poor customer experience at the gate, at the concessions, the team store, things like that. So what we've got here is a situation where we need flexibility. Right, because we're ingesting data from a relational to a document database, and the relational database might change. The document database is not going to flinch at all if a new column is added or a column name changes. It's still going to ingest the data just fine. Performance is a major concern. We want to do real-time reporting. We don't want to uh, affect our operational system. So, I mean, you can maybe do that with a separate relational database, but you, you wouldn't get the same flexibility. And scaling is a concern as well. So, in the long term. We might be interested in like a season-wide trend in ticket scans and, and times and, and places where people sit, uh, pe- people buy their concessions. Now, there's only like 50 players on the field tops, right? And those players don't change much for our baseball stats. But there's 40,000 people, uh, you know, in a good day at, at the Reds Park and, and more popular ballparks. And those people change a lot. It's not the same 40,000 every time. It could be, you know, a million, two million different people that come in during a season. So we've got a, a pretty big scaling issue. 
So we've got flexibility, performance, and scaling issues. NoSQL makes sense in that use case. Got so it. I'd say relational for the stats, non-relational for the improved customer engagement. Now, this is not necessarily a satisfying answer for everyone because I, I think the core of the issue is that as developers, we've been using relational, at least I have, most of my career, all of my career. And so when I'm presented with a problem, I often have a schema in my mind that I'm picturing. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone, even though I work for a NoSQL company. Uh, but in reality, there may be another better way to work with data than just constructing tables and foreign keys and, and going with third normal form. So this is a really long way of me saying uh, it depends. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so you've you've mentioned schema uh, quite a bit and and rigid schemas. When you mention schemas, are is that the same thing as a data model? Um, I would say a lot of people would consider them the same thing, but absolutely, from my point of view, absolutely not. The the data model is something that exists in the real world. Um, well, at least conceptually in the real world, right? It's a, it's a way for you to understand uh, the entities and the things you're working with. Now, you, when you create a data model, you may not have any particular database technology in mind. At least, hopefully, you shouldn't. You should start with, what's the best way to model this in our system? And then from there, if you choose relational, you could probably build a schema based roughly on the data model. And if you're using non-relational, you'd have to build a data model uh, somewhere else, uh, somewhere outside the database, because the NoSQL database is typically not going to enforce that. So, so just for clarity, uh, when you were talking about uh, the schema stuff in, in your Reds example, yeah. um, you you definitely want to have a data model in mind, right? You just you don't want to go in there guns blazing and and just throw data at the database, right? Uh, even though you uh, could. I mean, uh, of course not. Uh, you, you don't want to just go in haphazard and, and just do whatever. It's not, it's not the Wild West, right? So your, your data model should still exist. It's just that with a, with a document database model, for instance, uh, the, the database itself is not going to force that on you or enforce that. Uh, so you have to then think about that elsewhere. Your application, for instance. You would, you know, if I'm just using C-sharp, for example, I'd create, a, I'd create some classes that would be, uh, roughly like the schema or the model, and those classes would inform what goes in the database. The difference is that if those things change, I don't have to tell my database. I can just update my application. Or in, the, in my example of ingestion, right? I'm ingesting data from the source. It, if that data changes, the ingestion still happens no matter what. Now, downstream, I may need to make some changes in my reports or my application or whatever, but the, the important thing is I don't have to keep two different schemas in sync to make that ingestion happen. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so I, I get this, I, I read about this a lot, um, more particularly when I'm, I'm looking at Node.js. So people often call Node.js a prototyping programming language where you develop in Node because it's fast and then you, when you've got your prototype done, then you do it in a quote-unquote real programming language. Uh, <laughs> I've also heard this same thing about uh, NoSQL, that, that people say that NoSQL is a prototyping database because it's so flexible. Uh, what are your comments on that or your opinions? So, yeah, so it, is NoSQL a prototyping database? And I would say it can be. And, and some people take this to mean don't use NoSQL in production, right? But let's examine why it would make a good database for prototyping. Uh, it handles change better than a relational database. Right, so while we're prototyping, we don't want to have to go in and change our DDLs and do migration scripts and all this stuff, right? Uh, but 
does your data change after prototyping, after you're in production? If your data is still changing and still evolving, NoSQL still makes sense to keep using after it goes into production. So I'd, I'd say it can be used as a prototyping database, absolutely. Um, but I don't think it's just that. All right, yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, so kind of going back on the on the modeling question, because I think this is where people get um, hung up the most when it comes to NoSQL, at least in my personal opinion. Um, when you, and you gave some examples previously, I think already, when you're working with uh, a database that you don't have access to these uh, tables and rows and columns, how can you walk me through, paint a picture in my mind, how you might want to model a document? Let's say if we're using a document database. Oh, geez, how much time do we have? So, I mean, ask me to come to me to your meeting for conference. I got a whole session on, on modeling. But <laughs> All right. uh, here's, a, here's a little cheat sheet that I have uh, in my presentations. And it, it's a way for you to think about your data model and think about the relationships between pieces of data and just some rules of thumb. Now, the, the, the trick is here that with a document model, you have a lot of flexibility. Um, with how you model it. With relational, it's generally third normal form. Third normal form, that's it. Or, or, or bore normal form, whatever. Uh, that's as far as you want to go. That's the only way to model data correctly. With NoSQL, you can do it in different ways. You can either store data as nested. You can denormalize data into a single document. Uh, so for instance, like a shopping cart, you would have a shopping cart uh, table and shopping cart items table. Uh, those would be two different tables and they would be joined together by a foreign key with a document database, you'd have a shopping cart document that contains the shopping cart items. So here, here's some sort of rules of thumb to help you think about this. So if you have a relationship that's a one-to-one or one-to-many, store them in a document database as nested objects. If it's many-to-many, or sorry, many-to-one or many-to-many, store them as separate documents. And then you can think about, well, how am I going to access my data? Because uh, that's going to have to figure into this as well. Uh, so if you're doing reads that are mostly parent fields, then store the children as separate documents. And if the parents and fields are being, uh, parent and child are being read together, then store them as nested objects because they're all together anyway. Uh, and there's similar rules for writes. And, and so this is a general rule when using a key value or a document database where you are mostly using key-based access because key-based access is the fastest way to access data in these databases, period. Uh, chances are they're going to be in memory. It's going to be a very quick lookup, and you're going to get that document really, really quickly. Now, that's a good place to start with modeling. Now, it gets more complex when you factor in other ways to access data beyond keys, things like a, a sub-document where you access parts of a document. Or if you have a really good query language, uh, you can fill in some of the gaps in, uh, with that. But, but generally speaking, if you can model it so you can do key-based access and you, and you model your your relationships in a way to support that, then that's going to be the, the best approach for you. So when it comes to actually querying this data, uh, rather mm -hmm. than doing actual lookups based on document keys or or whatever it may be, uh, what, what are some of the ways that you query these non-relational uh, databases? So whether that, obviously not a key value database, but maybe a document database or a graph database or uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. So I want to stress, if you if you have a key-based access, that's going to be the fastest way to get data. So I'd recommend going with that uh, and, and doing the other stuff only if that's not going to work for you. So other types of queries where you, ne you don't necessarily know the key of the document. So I've been thinking about this a little bit, and 
I, th- I think there are maybe correct me if you think of something else, Nick, but I think there are like four main camps, uh, four main tools for querying that, that are not key based. Uh, so the first one is probably the, the oldest one is MapReduce, where you're going to write a, a function or functions. Those are going to run against your data ahead of time to sort of do some pre-calculation. They'll get updated on the fly. Um, and so you typically would write those in like JavaScript or something or functional language, and it would compute data ahead of time. Uh, another approach is an API approach. And so like in Mongo, for instance, you're going to use some sort of JavaScript, JSON, incantation that I personally find insufferable. Um, but that's, a, that's, a, that's the way you can query data in Mongo. And in CouchDB, they have something called Mango, which is very similar to that. It's just a, a, like a JavaScript-shaped API that you use to query data. And another approach is basically uh, SQL, right? Uh, so uh, in Couchbase, we have, uh, we have Nickel and we have SQL++. Uh, Cosmos or Microsoft has a, a SQL API. Uh, Cassandra has something that looks kind of like SQL. It's not, but it looks kind of like SQL. Uh, graph databases, uh, you have query languages like Gremlin and Cypher. And we, and we just talked to somebody about uh, Arango query language, AQL. And, and these kind of look like SQL in that they're declarative and they have, they have kind of similar syntax, but uh, they're a lot more efficient for querying graph data uh, than, than querying, uh, you know, querying it with, this, with the normal table-based SQL query. So that's the third one. And then the last one I can think of is like a text-based search or a full text search. And so things like Elastic, uh, Solar support these kind of searches. I mean, that's sort of their, their reason for being. Uh, Couchbase has a, a built-in search uh, kind of like this. Uh, Mongo has an anemic, uh, admittedly anemic, but uh, also a text-based search for, for searching for keywords and things like that. So those are sort of the four categories. I don't know if you can think of any others that that I don't, I don't know of any or... others, but let's uh, so in regards to full text, I mean mm-hmm. if you're searching for text within the database, how do you exactly search for relationships? Is that even possible like uh, related data or is it just possible just to find data? Um so I I think I'm not much of an expert in this at all. You might know the answer better than me, Nick, but um Elastic has some really good capabilities for, for rich querying and uh, things like uh, facets that Got allow it. you to get, get ranges and, and different categories of data. Um, but, but if you're looking for queries where you're trying to find something like an exact match or relationships, it might be better to use one of those other methods. Well, not MapReduce, but one of those other methods, the API or the, or the SQL declarative query uh, to do that kind of stuff. And you can use them in uh, combination with each other. Right, so you could yeah. use Elastic to find stuff by by text, or Couchbase to find stuff by text, and those might return uh, individual document keys, which you could then go and look up to get more data about them. Yeah, that works. Um, in regards to uh, a SQL-like dialect, um, so Couchbase, Cosmos, um, and Cassandra, those are all big players. So if they're adopting this SQL dialect kind of query structure, is that is that becoming the official language of NoSQL? Or non-relational databases. So let me qualify this really quickly. Couchbase right now has has two of these type of languages. Nickel, which is fully supported right now, and that's it's it's a full SQL implementation. You can use to query data. So everything in SQL joins, unions, group by everything. And there's also SQL plus plus, which is for the analytics piece in Couchbase. That's currently in beta, uh, available on Couchbase.com/downloads right now. 
Cosmos, you mentioned, has a very, very light version of SQL that's missing a lot of functionality. I think they're going to add some more in. But to answer your question, I think it would be very stupid if, quote, SQL became the official query language for NoSQL. Right? It just... That sentence is a very stupid sentence, but that would absolutely follow the trend of things being given really terrible names in software, uh, like NoSQL and serverless, which absolutely uses servers, <laughs> and, and Microsoft, which uses .NET as a name. That's a terrible name for something, right? And, and Go, which is like, they had to call it Golang because it's impossible to Google that sort of thing, right? That's just to name a few, really terrible names. So just by that principle alone, I think it's going to happen. So Microsoft's partially on board. I think if if Amazon gets on board too, then we'll be there. But but hey, don't remember who did it first, right? Couchbase, nickel. All right, sounds good. Um, so another thing that happens, it comes up a lot when it comes to databases, uh, more specifically in relational databases, um, is the whole uh, ACID compliance and, and being able to use transactions. So is uh, is this a thing in in NoSQL? Is this uh, because people I'm sure are asking about it, right? Yeah, we keep we keep using the word NoSQL. We're just making the problem worse. I know. But but uh, most most NoSQL databases I know fully support ACID when it comes to a single piece of data, like a document in a document database. But most do not support ACID when it comes to mutating multiple documents within a single atomic operation that can be rolled back. And that's what I think most people mean when they ask this question, right? Uh, now again, I could go on a long rant, but I I broke down all the properties of ACID when it comes to Couchbase in a blog post. So you can go check that out at blog.couchbase.com. I went through every one of those properties, A, C, I, and D, uh, to show you what Couchbase does to implement those at the single document level and some of the options you have there. And those those are probably going to apply to most other uh, similar NoSQL databases. But uh, also to answer your question, some NoSQL databases do support some flavor of ACID. This is a relatively new thing, I think, I think we're heading in this direction. So MongoDB 4, they just they just did a release recently, and they have ACID support. It's my understanding that it's somewhat limited to a, like a single shard, which makes sense technically to do that. Uh, Cosmos has ACID support, uh, but it's only within uh, Sprocks, stored procedures, that run entirely on the cloud, which, again, that makes sense because they control the entire cloud there. Uh, and other than that, there are, there are some design patterns you can use to provide something like a transaction in a distributed system, and, I'm, and by distributed system, I mean not just a distributed database, but a distributed microservice architecture, for instance. Um, now, I think this question comes up because developers are nervous about not having the same type of transactions they have, they've been used to in relational databases. But let's go back to the data modeling real quick. It might very well be that you don't need multi-document transactions because you've denormalized your data into one single document, like the shopping cart example. Um, it really depends on the use case. Another it depends answer, I guess, in the data model. I also want to make the philosophical point here. Maybe this is just silly. You can ignore this part. But real life doesn't really go by the acid rules, right? When you go to a grocery store, you take a box of diapers off the shelf. I'm sure you're doing this a lot these days, Nick. You put them in your cart. Until you check out and pay for them, between the time you took them off the shelf and the time you paid for them, do those diapers belong to you? I'd, I'd say not really. You have them in your possession, but you haven't paid for them. And are are they still in the store's inventory? Well, not really. They're they're still in the store, but they're not on the shelf for someone else to get. So I would say that reality is often in a in a soft state. And if we're truly trying to model reality in our applications, then we have to we have to do that. Another thing that people bring up is 
uh, financial systems a lot when it comes to asset transactions and stuff like that. And it's it's kind of ironic because the financial system, at least in the, in the States, as I understand it, is probably the furthest thing from asset compliant that you can imagine. I'm not even talking about clearing houses and things like that, but uh, I often tell people about um, ATMs and, and you go to take money out of them. And so the perception is there that, oh, this is going to go to my bank via some API, uh, make sure I have the money, take the money out in one asset transaction and dispense the money to me. Well, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, I mean, even if there's network connection, it doesn't work that way. Uh, and suppose the a- ATM is does not have a network connection. Does that mean we're going to just put the ATM in out-of-order mode uh, and, and forego all those fees that people are going to be spending at the machine? Well, no. So what we do is we have limits on them. So the most damage you can do when there's no network connection, you have a limit of like $400 or $800 on your ATM withdrawal. So there are some examples of mitigation to deal with the real world that do not use ACID. Yeah, I like these real world examples. I never thought of it that way. And I, 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 I'm, I'm trying, as you were saying all that stuff, I was trying to think of a scenario where um, I, could, I could beat you here. Um, but <laughs> I couldn't think of one. Um, and I'm not saying that a scenario might not exist, but, uh, no, your, your, your real world examples just had me stumped, especially the supermarket one. Uh, so, so kudos to you on that. Well, uh, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to stump you. And if there is an example that makes sense, then yeah. stick with relational or, or stick with something that has acid. I'm, I'm just saying maybe put some more thought into it and think about, do I really need acid here? Is, is acid going to give me the best possible customer experience and and so on i'm sure i'm sure we'll get some some uh some uh people bringing it up inside the show comments after Please we do. publish um so w- when i talk to people around um and uh figure out what they're what stacks they're developing with what they're using um I'll, i'd say a majority of people especially people who are not using a javascript technology um are using a uh rdbms so a, a relational database uh, so, w- what do you think the barrier to entry is uh, for all of these people? Why aren't more people using um, a non-relational database? So, I think the best I can do here is speculation, but I would say it's probably the same barrier as any newer technology. Um, Grace Hopper famously said the most dangerous phrase a manager can use is "We've always done it this way." All right, so I think there's there's a lot of that still. Uh, and also there's a, it's kind of like a hype cycle in, in technology. Now I'm not a big Gartner Forrester guy. I generally don't find those terribly useful. Um, but, but intuitively there's a hype cycle, right? So there's like that, that peak and then there's the, there's the trough and then there's eventually maturity and things like that. So I'd say that NoSQL is, is possibly right now in that trough of disillusionment at the moment. Uh, but what that just means it's almost to the point of maturity, I'd say, but it also, I think it means that people who are using it now are using it where it makes sense to, and they're not just throwing it at every single problem. You know, when a new technology comes along, like blockchain, well, let's use blockchain everywhere. It's going to solve all the problems. Well, we're going to get to that trough eventually where blockchain is like, well, it's eh, not that, it's not a silver bullet. Sometimes it makes sense. And and that's where we're at right now with, with NoSQL. Got it, got it. Um, so where do you think NoSQL is heading then? Well, so... Uh, Again, this is a crystal ball speculation here, but I think it's I think it's heading towards maturity. I think a lot of organizations have gotten past that initial sort of honeymoon period of NoSQL is going to solve all of our problems, uh, and they've dealt with some of the headaches of, of trying to apply it everywhere. Uh, but I, I think they're going to start thinking 
okay, well, let's think about what options there are, not just relational, but what other options are out there that are going to help us solve our problem. And we'll, we can maybe put together relational and NoSQL solutions into the same project. But I think, just to be a little more speculative, I think that move towards increased NoSQL maturity is going to be relatively seamless to a lot of devs uh, because they're going to be using similar or the same APIs and tools they're using today, whether it's SQL. They're already, they're already NoSQL, so they're, they're going to keep using SQL. Or an ORM is going to—they're going to get uh, NoSQL support with their ORM or whatever tool they're using. So, to developers, it's really not going to uh, look like much of a transition. It's going to be mostly on on the back end. People are going to be uh, looking at it there, and you know, I think these days, again, consulting my crystal ball, developers in general seem to be really into JavaScript and front end. Those are like the the hot things right now. But just in my career and just by studying history, the pendulum of software kind of swings between client and server. So the early days we had mainframes. We'd all connect to them via, via dumb terminals, right? And that changed when we had desktops and microcomputers. So now it's computers are all spread out. And then we have the web. So now we're kind of back to that kind of the mainframe model where we're all connecting to a server. And then we had things like uh, uh, fat clients like uh, Java and uh, Flash and things like that. And now we're back to the sort of the thinner clients, um, although they're getting fatter. And we have mobile apps on phones that are kind of kind of like fat clients. Uh, and we always the ongoing discussion of on-premises data center versus the cloud. Which one's which one's right? Which one's uh, going to win? That sort of thing. So I, I think I'm going to live long enough to see that pendulum swing back and forth a few times, but I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like in terms of NoSQL. So you mentioned a few times uh, NoSQL is uh, maybe entering maturity. So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I'm terrible with dates, just like I am with, with finding stuff on a map. But um, hasn't NoSQL been around for a long time? Like, say, say MongoDB, didn't they come around in like 2006 or 2008? Something like that? Well, well technically speaking, the very first commercial electronic database, as we know it, uh, was called Sabre, I believe. And it was not a SQL database. It was more like a, a, a hierarchical file system sort of database. Um, but but NoSQL as a buzzword, as we know it, probably started around 2005 with CouchDB. Uh, and Mongo came later than that. Um, so that would be, but yeah, around 2008, 2009 is what really started getting momentum, especially with those uh, Dynamo and, and big table white papers. So then what, what kind of time frame is necessary or what, what drastic thing needs to happen before it becomes mature? I, I think it's a matter of, uh, uh, well, it's a couple of things. It's, it's the features, right? The, the ACID stuff we're talking about, SQL language. Like I said, I, I think to many devs, they want the transition to be as seamless as possible. Uh, and it's just gonna, it just takes time, right? So, I mean, CouchDB was... Uh, the sort of the pioneer and had a very simple map reduce sort of functionality. And that's kind of a foreign concept to a lot of developers who've been writing SQL their whole career. So once these, these tools, once Mongo Couchbase and Cassandra and others are start adding in richer stuff like asset support and, and the full SQL language and the ORMs and the libraries that developers use, uh, it just takes time. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. So, so I may be speculating, or I may be speaking pure nonsense when I say this. Now, uh, are we? Do you figure it's going to be mature uh, when these features are in place, or when all of these old developers who don't necessarily like change have 
since retired. And all these new <laughs> new developers who are familiar with NoSQL uh, have only learned NoSQL at that point. I don't know. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, yeah, it's really uh, it's really kind of speculative. I I don't really know. I you know I don't I don't think that it's that old developers are resistant to change. It's just that. You know, maybe I'm an old developer myself, but I've seen so many of these hype cycles come and go and these these pendulum swings. It's like the next hot new thing. You know, I don't want to get super attached to it until, you know, I've I found a a reason to use it and it's it's performed well for me. And that just that just takes a lot of time. And then there's a lot of stuff that sort of falls by the wayside in that process. And uh, that's one of the, the beauties, the beautiful things of our industry. Is we we're, we're we're still very young and we're still sort of groping our way towards maturity in general, not just in NoSQL, but the whole industry. Got it. Fair enough. Uh, so, is there any last minute words of wisdom that you want to give the listeners about uh, NoSQL or Couchbase or or anything on the subject matter that they might find value in? Oh, geez. Um, is this the, the portion where I do my plugs and stuff? Or uh, No, we'll, we'll give you a, a section for shameless plugs after. How about that? <laughs> okay. Um, I, I would say if you're interested in NoSQL and you're sort of skeptical about it, go check out some of the companies who are doing it and doing it well and, and putting it to use and, and see if there's anything you can, you can glean from those. Um, Check out the uh, LinkedIn has an engineering blog, and it's their own engineering blog site. They post stuff about uh, some of the NoSQL solutions they're using and how they're managing those. Go check that out. Um, see what you think. I would look also at uh, some Martin Fowler's uh, stuff. He's done some really, uh, I don't know if he's much into it anymore, but Martin Fowler and Thought, ThoughtWorks, they were really pioneers in NoSQL. Um, and actually, uh, one of the one of the cool things I like that that Martin Fowler said was that he considered document databases to be a bad name for them, and he liked them likened them more to aggregate oriented databases because the thought is that in your application you're often constructing these these uh, aggregates if you're following the domain driven design uh, pattern for instance, and those aggregates have to be assembled piecemeal by a bunch of different flat pieces of data in a relational uh, database. Hence the need for an ORM. But he says, well, uh, if we can just store those aggregates themselves in the database, that's what we would have in terms of what a document database is providing. So I think that's a really good way of thinking about it is basically you're doing all the aggregation work. um, You you, you don't have to do all the aggregation work in your ORM or, or in your data translation layer. Got it, got it. So now now I do want to accept some shameless plugs here. What do you have for me? All right, I got some plugs here. All right, so um, if you're interested in any of my ramblings, you can find me on Twitter at mgroves. And do you mind if I plug my own podcast? Yeah, go for it. All right, I, I have a podcast of my own. It's way better than Nick's. Uh, it's it's shorter episodes, like 15-ish minutes of them. I'm just kidding, Nick. It's not really, I'm not going to slam your podcast. Um, but I, I cover a lot, a lot of different tech topics with a new guest each week. I talk about stuff like retro games, API design, uh, blockchain, information security, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of great guests. Nick's been a guest on that show before. So if you're a fan of Nick's, uh, come and check that uh, episode out at least. Yeah. So, I mean, if I were to give an impression of, of what I've heard from that podcast, it's kind of like .NET, .NET, Microsoft, .NET, right? 
Oh, boy. Uh, is, that my, is, that my, is that my Matt Groves impression? <laughs> you know, it's, it's probably too much uh, too much Microsoft, right? Because a lot of people I know on the show, I know from the Microsoft MVP community. But I do make an effort to reach out to other uh, technology areas, hence the cross-cutting concerns, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's probably a little Microsoft heavier than it should be. But that means that, hey, listeners, if you want to be on the show, I, I'll love to have you on. So yeah, if you can talk about something interesting for like 15 minutes, come be on my show. It, it's a good podcast. It's well it's well made. Uh, there's a lot of good information on it. So definitely worth following that. Um, so I believe we are out of time now. Uh, I just want to say that I appreciate you being on the show, Matt. Um, and we might have you back on at a later time, maybe to talk about some .NET on the Polyglot Developer Podcast. I would love that, Nick. Thanks for having me on the show. If you're at a point where you need to start evaluating databases for your application, Definitely take what Matt had said about NoSQL into consideration uh, because it is a very valid option when it comes to choosing a database that's good for scaling, good for flexibility, good all around uh, for larger scale applications. If you like what you heard on the show, please take a moment to leave it a five-star rating and review. uh, So that way it'll help further listeners get an idea on what they're going to get out of the Polyglot Developer Podcast. If you have a particular subject that you'd like to see on the show or you'd like to be a guest, shoot me an email at contact at thepolyglotdeveloper.com and we'll see what is a fit or if you'd be a fit on the show itself. And that concludes episode number 22.